Hey, what's going on? Shane at Shane Hubbard Fit and the Simple 60 Challenge, bringing you another episode of the Barbells and Burgers podcast. I'm recording on a Sunday, and I actually like to record the day before something launches, just in case anything came up between the time that I recorded and the time that the episode drops. Today, we're going to be talking about the most asked questions in 2020. I thought it'd be kind of fun just to sort of recap 2020 from a fitness and nutrition perspective and some of the things that happened in the world and some of the things that had to be adjusted for when it came to fitness, when it came to nutrition, as well as what are the most popular topics and questions that people are asking. And so these are probably things that you've either wondered or maybe you've even asked yourself or asked somebody else and you would like to know the answers to those questions, or at least get a different perspective of the answers to those questions. So we're going to go ahead and just start right away. There's really no announcements to have. Um, I am, uh, I guess there is one announcement technically. I am launching the Simple 60 Plus membership starting on February 8th. There's an early bird registration, which comes with some perks. If you're interested in being a part of one of the best, if not the best, online fitness community, then I would highly recommend that you sign up for the early bird uh, entry as well as for the membership in and of itself. You can find all the details on my website, shanehubbardfit.com. Click the Simple 60 membership tab at the top of the homepage, and you'll be able to get all the information that you want. If you're on my email list, you've already been sent an email about some of the uh, the details of the, the membership, what you get, why it's important to you, why I think you'll be a good fit for the membership, and all the perks that you get with being a member of the Simple 60 Plus membership. So other than that, no real announcements. Let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. Uh, I just realized that I'm too close to the microphone and I think I'm talking too loud. So I'm going to move a little bit further away. Um, okay, so the first question, these are not in any particular order. I just, that's just how I typed them. So there's no like importance scale here. But the first one is what are good at home workouts? And so you can imagine why people want to know why good, you know, why at-home workouts are, uh, you know, going to be a very important part of their continued fitness. Um, people are starting to think more and more about working out at home. People are starting to take this sort of things they were doing at the gym and do them at home. And while you can't convert everything that you do at a gym to your house, unless you have a ton of money to, to spend on workout equipment and some space to, you know, put it all in, we had to sort of adapt to the situation. And, um, you know, lots of people that are used to going to gym did not like having to work out at home. I get it. Uh, it's both psychological and it's limited uh, availability of equipment, but that doesn't mean you can't get a good workout and it doesn't mean that you can't lose body fat or improve your strength or improve your fitness just because you're at home, right? There's a lot of things you can do. So what are some good at-home workouts? Well, what I would recommend starting off with is getting really good at body weight stuff. If you already can do push-ups really well, if you already have good range of motion on your squat, if you're already able to lift weights overhead or lift anything overhead with good form, then you're fine, right? You might want to advance what you focus on for at-home workouts. Maybe you focus more on HIIT cardio, which we'll talk about in a second. But there are lots of people that go to the gym that do bench press, that do chest press machines, that do all kinds of upper body exercises, and yet they cannot do an effective push-up to save their life. So what I encouraged a lot of people to do in 2020 is work on the body weight stuff. Work on the stuff that's fundamental. Stop going on Instagram and, and oh, well, this, this uh, fitness model is doing this Cirque du Soleil workout. Stop that. If you can't do a push-up, work on getting good at doing push-ups. It's not something that you should avoid. And 2020 
taught a lot of people just how bad they are at bodyweight stuff. Because bodyweight stuff isn't sexy. It's not cool. Why do it if you if you can just go to the gym and lift weights? Well, because bodyweight exercises, believe it or not, have been around longer than weights have been around. And if you can't do the fundamentals of bodyweight exercises, you are going to miss out on a ton of functional movement and a ton of fitness, right? Being able to do workouts with just your body weight should be a fundamental importance to everyone. I understand, again, it's not the funnest stuff and you and you probably get discouraged. Like I know lots of women get discouraged because they can't do a push-up. Listen, I understand the emotional side of things, but let's just face the facts and be logical about this. If you can learn to do a push-up either, either as a man or a woman, you are going to be empowered, all right? It's not about avoiding the things you can't do. It's about working on them in doses that work for you so that you can empower yourself to be a stronger, more confident person. You don't build confidence by avoiding the things you can't do. You build confidence by overcoming the things that you either thought you couldn't do or that you currently can't do and it, and it upsets you, right? So those sorts of things, and this goes for life in general, but that's what you need to focus on. So focus on body weight workouts. The second thing, once you've gotten that down or in accordance with that, is working on or practicing hit cardio, all right? It's not something that's for everyone, but for those that wanna take it up a step and, and don't wanna just do things like running or swimming or, or walking or you know cycling, you wanna mix it up or you wanna try something different, look into hit cardio. Now, the only beef that I have with hit cardio is that most trainers or most like quote unquote influencers on social media are, are only doing the exercises that are the most sexy, right? Because it looks good on video, it, it looks impressive that they can do those exercises. The problem that I have with that is, is that that's not the best place for everyone to start. Sometimes the best place to start is just taking body weight strength training exercises and implementing the HIT cardio component, which is limited rest. So for those that don't know, HIT cardio is essentially interval training. And interval training works like this. You, you're given a certain amount of seconds to do an exercise. So let's say that's 20 seconds. And then you're given a very short rest break of sometimes and usually the equal amount of time that you did the work, especially for a beginner. So let's say that I do push-ups for 20 seconds. Then I take a 20 second break and then I move on to another exercise. I do that for 20 seconds. Then I take a 20 second break and you just repeat these intervals. Now, most hit cardio is going to have anywhere between three to six different exercises. Usually you increase the amount of exercises the more advanced you are and you keep it simple the more beginner you are. Now, what's a good starting place for somebody who's never done hit cardio? What I would recommend is 20 seconds of work, so 20 seconds of doing an exercise, and then 25 to 30 seconds of rest, and then repeat. The challenge doesn't come in the first round. I have lots of people tell me, you wrote me this hip cardio workout, it's really boring in the first round, and then I'm about to die in the last round. Yeah, exactly. Don't be <laughs> discouraged by the fact that the first round isn't going to be that challenging because the first round is just, your fatigue hasn't accumulated by that point, so there's no way that you're really gonna feel the, the effects. The challenge in HIT cardio comes not with the exercises being like fancy and crazy and cool, it comes with the re repetitive uh, nature of a limited rest break. So you're building fatigue endurance over time, and it's the rounds that you want to build the fatigue in. There's only a, there's sort of a stopping point with how effective a, a limited rest break is. For those that are very advanced, I might do something like 20 seconds on, 
uh, 10 seconds off, right? So, but those people have to be very advanced. The movements have to be less technical because as you get fatigued, technique is going to go away. You don't, you want to play this game where you're doing exercises that challenge your fatigue, but they don't challenge your ability to stay stable during an exercise. Because the last thing you want to do during hit cardio is do something that's so challenging while you're fatigued and, and increase your risk of injury, right? That's essentially what CrossFit does. Now, CrossFit has gotten better over the years, so I applaud them for at least, you know, adapting to the fact that they didn't have a great model in the beginning. But I have a really big problem with uh, the types of hit cardio or the hit workouts that don't try to keep the person safe. You can be very challenged to do a certain amount of exercises for a certain amount of time and build fatigue, but you got to plan it correctly. So anyway, I don't want to go too deep into that because that could be its own podcast, but that's, those are two things, body weight workouts and then hit cardio or hit, um, you know, some sort of hit training, interval training. That's what I would recommend. Um, even in 2021, when this podcast is, is coming out, one of the things that I want people to start implementing for as a fallback plan is at-home workouts. So all the stuff that you did, if you were on a decent, you know, at-home workout program, all the stuff you did at home, you should continue to do as a backup plan for either when you don't go to the gym or for the time being while gyms are still slowly reopening. Um, some people are intimidated to go to the gym with you know the COVID still being a, a pretty predominant thing. That's totally fine. You have to adapt to what, what you're comfortable with doing in terms of the pandemic situation, right? You, you have to you know do things that work for you. So that was question one. Let's go ahead and jump into question number two. So the second question, one of the most popular questions I got in 2020 was, should I weigh myself every day? Now, this is a bit of a loaded question, which I actually am very happy for. I love loaded questions. I love to unpack these very deep, you know, like lots of outcomes and situations. So let's put this in two buckets, right? Because there's, there's essentially two major buckets for advice on this one. The first person, or I should say the first bucket is, does weighing yourself every day bother you heavily psychologically? If it does, then without the proper guidance, I wouldn't recommend weighing yourself every day. If weighing yourself every day doesn't bother you from a psychological perspective and it doesn't hinder your ability to stay consistent with your motivation to work out and you know eat right and you're not adjusting what you eat and how you move to what the scale says, if you're not doing those things, then yeah, you can weigh yourself every day. I have a couple of clients who will get very kind of emotionally charged by how the scale moves. And what I'm teaching them right now is to not only understand that day-to-day -day changes in the scale are virtually meaningless and they're not worth paying attention to, and it's not worth adjusting your calories or adjusting your workouts to fit a very particular type of weight every single day. But it's about understanding that your weight isn't going to be a linear process. It's not going to be I like to think of your weight as like the stock market, right? Some days the stock market is up, some days the stock market is down. Sometimes the stock market is really up. Like if you're listening to this, uh, the week it comes out, last week was one of the craziest weeks ever in, in the stock market uh, because we had some very interesting things go on. But, uh, you know, pretty soon the market's going to go back down and there's going to be this fluctuation in the market from time to time. You're gonna have big drops, you're gonna have big increases, you're gonna have little drops, you're gonna have little increases. Trying to adjust what you eat and, and what kind of exercise you do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, based on what you weigh that day or what you weighed the day before is not smart because that's gonna be 
perpetually confusing as to what it is that you should be doing, all right? So what I teach my clients is that weighing yourself every day, if that's what you want to do, is completely fine, but you have to know how to approach it from a psychological standpoint and from a mindset standpoint. Otherwise, it could drive you to do things that aren't going to be good for your longevity in terms of sticking to your fat loss plan or whatever goals that you might have. Maybe you just want to be healthier. Part of being healthier is, is understanding how weight fluctuations work and not get not getting overly emotionally charged. I'd be a hypocrite if I said that when I step on the scale, I'm not initially surprised by some of the times that, you know, what, what the weight actually says. Like, I remember the other day I stepped on the scale. I'm like, wow, I'm really 178. And I, and I thought about like, okay, well, why would that be? And and all this different stuff, but it didn't affect me going like on a crash diet or going and going for a run because I was like, oh, I got to work all this weight off. That type of approach to what the scale says is always going to be, uh, is always going to result in failure. And so what I like to teach people is weighing yourself every day. That's totally cool, but let's understand what's going on. And instead of paying attention to the daily weigh-ins, let's pay attention to what the weekly weigh-ins say, right? If every single week, you weigh yourself under the same conditions and your weight is the same every single week for a long period of time, like four to six weeks, then there's a very good chance that from an energy balance standpoint, you are eating as many calories as you are burning on an average basis. Maybe not every single day, but it averages out to basically weight maintenance, which for some people is completely cool. Like for, I have some clients where that is their goal. Like they're, they've already gone through a fat loss phase or they're, you know, they're trying to maintain their weight during a reverse diet. And the goal is not to gain weight. The goal is actually just to maintain their weight. I have, I have clients that are just trying to keep their weight the same because they don't have any specific goals right now. They just want to take a break, but they still want to maintain their weight and not let things get out of hand. If you are weighing yourself consistently and every week your weight drops a little bit, and by the way, if you're not really sure what your realistic weight loss expectation should be, here's a quick little tip. It should be 0.5 to 1% of your total current body weight. So you can do the math on that. But that's very little compared to what you might see on the internet saying, oh, you lose 59 pounds. I saw the other day someone sent me a supplement. They're like, hey, would you mind promoting the supplement on your TikTok? And I was like, well, first of all, there aren't many supplements that are worth promoting that aren't already being promoted by me. And second of all, let me see what this is because this might make for an interesting social media post. So he sent it to me and it was a some type of like powdered supplement. And it said, lose 59 pounds of fat in a day. And I was thinking are people really believing that? Yeah, they are because somebody's buying that supplement, right? I don't know where I was going with that, but my point is, is that if you're, oh, I was talking about weight loss expectations. So you hear a lot of stuff in the media that's very confusing because you're like, is that how much weight I should try to lose? No, you want to lose 0.5 to 1% of your total current body weight per week. That should be, you know, a goal. And for most people, that's not going to exceed one and a half pounds. Like that's a very big person. Someone who is losing 1.5 pounds a week is a very big person who has a lot of body weight on their body. For somebody who's like 200 pounds or less, that's not even going to be a pound. Like that might be like one, well, I should say that it should be more like 1.2 pounds or, you know, the range is anywhere between like 0.5 pounds and 1.2 pounds. So if that's the average and that's what you should shoot for, that's what you should do. There's no rushing weight loss. 
You can't rush how fast you lose weight. You can try. You can do these crash diet approaches where you starve yourself or you drink these teas that make you shit your pants. I mean, there's all these different things that you can technically lose weight, but it's not weight in the form of fat. It's what was stuck in your colon or what you ate last night, and it's water weight that you store on your body. And believe it or not, you do want to store water weight on your body. Water weight is important, not in excess, obviously, but Having water retention does not mean that you're doing something wrong. It usually means that you're inflamed, and, and in a lot of cases, that's from a workout, and that's okay. It could be you have inflammation like total stress and body inflammation, which is something you should take care of, of with your doctor. Um, but in most cases, if your weight fluctuates here and there, and it goes up and it goes down, even if it's a pound, two pounds, don't stress out over it right? That weight is temporary, and it will eventually come off. Now, if you're gaining two pounds every week, and you do that for you know four to six straight weeks, yeah, you're eating in a calorie surplus, right? You're 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 intaking more calories than you burn, and that's a very obvious sign that something isn't right with you know something isn't dialed in. But um, anyway, so I know that was probably more than you really <laughs> more than you might have wanted on that topic. But to go back to the original question, should I weigh myself every day? You have to understand where your psychology is. For most people, I say weigh yourself once a week on a Friday because Friday is going to be an easier day to see the accumulation of your efforts throughout the week and everyone's weight goes up on Monday morning. I mean, let's face it, even the healthiest people are going to have some sort of variance on their weekends, whether it's less stress or more stress or different types of sodium intakes, which can affect your weight. There's just so many variables and weekends are so different than our work weekdays and that's fine, by the way that Monday morning, there's a good chance we're going to weigh a little bit more than we usually do because we probably ate more total food volume or we had foods that had more sodium. That's completely fine. That's that's not a bad thing. So weigh yourself once a week if that's for you. If weighing yourself at all is a, is a mental you know, fuck for you, then don't do it. Don't do it. Find different ways to measure progress. That's fine. Until you can work with a professional to understand some of the these things that I've talked about, I think it's better that you find other ways to measure your progress, okay? So that is number two. Let's go on to number three. Should I buy workout equipment? And if so, which ones? So I highly recommend, not right now, but when things start to calm down and people are, less people are trying to buy at-home workout equipment, because right now the prices for things like dumbbells and kettlebells and barbells and any sorts of weights are like 200% market value or sometimes even like 300% market value. I went on Facebook Marketplace the other day and I was looking for a pair of dumbbells to see if anyone was selling them and people are selling them for like ridiculous prices. Even, um, you know, like websites like Bowflex and other places that sell dumbbells, they're not necessarily upselling the, they're not like increasing the market value but they are always sold out. So you have to find third-party vendors or local vendors that might have some to buy these you know, workout equipment. So right now is probably not the best time, which sucks because it's been pretty much a year since workout equipment has been you know, worth buying in terms of the price. But what I would recommend, if I could only have one piece of equipment, workout equipment, is I would buy a sort of moderate to heavy kettlebell because and, and, and or a pair of dumbbells all right and they should be moderately heavy because there's a lot of stuff you can do with a pair of dumbbells or a kettlebell or maybe even two kettlebells if you're worth if it's worth it to you to pay a little bit more um, another piece of equipment would be a barbell right you don't necessarily have to have weights on a barbell for it to be an effective piece of workout equipment so 
Those are all great options. I would highly recommend any of those. There's no right or wrong way of doing things. I think that for the more beginner slash intermediate, kettlebells and dumbbells are better. I think for someone who is maybe more intermediate to advanced in terms of their fitness, a barbell is a better option because a barbell is going to, you're going to be able to do more Olympic style lifts with a barbell. So that's where you can, you know, if you're more advanced, you can sort of explore that area. If you're a beginner who needs to work on basic movement patterns like squats, deadlifts, bent over rows, you know, bench press or, you know, chest press, overhead pressing, um, you know, even things like, uh, you know, like cleans and, you know, that kind of stuff, I would highly recommend just sticking to a kettlebell or a dumbbell. So that's my answer on that one. All right. Number four, which diet is best for losing weight? Another very loaded question, and I'll actually keep this one short just because this could literally be like two podcasts. So by short, I mean short comparatively speaking. Which diet is best for losing weight? The easiest way to answer that in a single sentence is the one that you're actually going to stick with. But let me preface that by saying that no diet that someone else wrote for you is going to be as effective as you writing your own diet based on the certain sort of preferences that you have for food or or macronutrient splits. So like when I'm working with a client, I never give them the keto diet, I never give them the Atkins diet, I never give them low carb, I don't do any of these things. What I do is I understand what their preferences are for eating. I have some clients that actually really prefer a more low carb lifestyle. They feel better on those lifestyles. They're not afraid of carbs, but they know that when they keep them to a minimum or, you know, a moderate amount, they feel better. Then I help them orchestrate their nutrition based on that. I have some people that tend to, uh, you know, have, do a lot of endurance sports, a lot of activity, they need more carbohydrates. And so we work out a diet where their, their carbs are a little bit higher, their fats are at at least the minimum that they need to function properly with hormones and protein, pretty much no matter what you do stays the same. The foods that you choose to eat outside of the macronutrients is also up to you. I never tell anyone that they can't eat something or they have to eat something. Right. If somebody doesn't like quinoa, if somebody doesn't like broccoli, if somebody doesn't like, you know, fish, I don't I don't make them eat them and they don't have to eat them. What I do is I say, what are your food preferences? What foods do you like? Let's create a plan that works best for you. Let's get ideas for meals online. Let's get ideas for recipes and things that you can make and let's create your own diet. If we keep trying to follow a diet that someone else wrote, you you and everyone else is going to fail at it because someone else doesn't know anything about you. The better approach is either learning how to create your own diet on your own or hiring a coach to help you figure it out. Because this is one of those things where once you figure out, generally speaking, what sort of foods you like and in what ratios you need them to either achieve goals or just maintain what, where you're at, you don't have to learn that stuff again. It's stuff that you don't forget because you practice it every single day. So forgetting it is not even possible unless, you know, somehow you get knocked on the head and you go into a coma. But my point is, is that the best diet for losing weight is the one that prioritizes a calorie deficit, prioritizes the foods that you like, and prioritizes the ratios in which that sort of food works for you within the scope of a calorie deficit. So... That's it. That's the best answer. It's not keto. It's not blah, blah, blah. It's not any of that. Okay, cool. Number four. All right. On to number five. Is the keto diet good for losing weight? So that was another common question. So I'll just sort of refer to the first question, but let's talk a little bit about all the arguments for keto. Okay. So 
there are people that say, well, I lost X amount of weight doing keto. All right. Okay, great. Do you know what that weight was? Most people are going to assume it's fat. It's not always fat. The other thing that's important to understand is that any diet that helps you lose fat is simply just following a calorie deficit. There's nothing unique about that diet. All right. All it did is it orchestrated calories in a way so that you were eating less than you you burned essentially. So you're burning more calories than you ate. That's it. Any diet. Doesn't matter if it's keto or the freaking Twinkie diet. If you are consuming less calories than you burn, you will lose body fat. Some people assume that keto is somehow magical because they lose weight very quickly in the beginning, which is water weight. And if they continue losing weight, then they assume that it's because of the keto diet that they're losing weight. It's because they're eating fat. It's because they're not eating carbs. It's not true. All that's happening is, is that you are creating a calorie deficit with that eating style. You can do the exact same thing with carbs. Now, some people are able to stick to a calorie deficit when they reduce their carbohydrates. Usually, they can't, uh, for the rest of their life, eliminate carbohydrates, but they reduce them. And so that's fine. But again, it's the mindset and the approach that's important. If you're doing the keto diet because you think that carbs make you fat, you will always run into an issue with weight loss or sustaining your weight loss. But if you do a high fat, I won't even call it the keto diet because that's, I don't even think the keto diet is a smart idea. If you're doing a high fat, high protein, lower carb diet, but you're doing it because it's what suits you best and you're not doing it because you're afraid of carbohydrates, then that's great. You should follow that. And that's completely fine because your mindset and your attitude and your approach about what you're doing is catering to your preference. It's not following some keto diet because you want to lose 20 pounds in a week. All right. So that's, I'll say that about the keto diet and pretty much diets in general. All right. Uh, next question is, can I eat, or I'm sorry, can I lose weight eating whatever I want? There's an asterisk next to that, but the answer is yes. So define eating whatever you want. Is that pizza and donuts? Is that tacos for lunch every day? Is that a pint of ice cream every night? The answer is usually no if that's the case. But does it mean that you always have to eat healthy foods in order to lose weight? Also no. The best balance is 80% whole food nutrition in the ratios that work best for you. And then including with you know, obvious limitations, obvious like portion controlling with processed foods that tend to have more calories per serving that tend to be easier to overeat. And in that aspect, yes, you can lose weight eating whatever you want, but you have to be smart about how you organize it, right? Can you get rich uh, working as many hours as you want? Probably, but what else are you sacrificing? Time with your family, time with your friends, things like sleep. It's important to balance everything. All right. Just because that guy did the Twinkie diet, which by the way, if you look at that study, he simply did it as an experiment to prove to his students that calories at the top were the top of the priority list when it came to losing weight or gaining weight. He said, this is an energy thing. I'm not saying that healthy foods aren't important. I'm not saying junk foods, you know, should be the only thing you eat. But what I want to prove to you is that if I control my calories, I can eat whatever I want. Now, he did it for three months and then said after the three months, I couldn't have done it had I not been trying to prove a point. This is not a lifestyle thing that you can implement. What he said and what he went back on was, I just wanted to prove that you can lose weight if you control calories. 
But in order to, con to continue to lose weight or to keep the weight that you lose off, it's much better to have a flexible diet approach where 80% of your nutrition comes from whole foods that are portioned in a way that works best for managing calories. But that doesn't mean you necessarily can't have ice cream here and there, right? You just got to be smart about how you do it. And because junk foods are engineered for us to overeat them, you have to be smart about how you eat them. Because if you if you just eat them to your to the extent that you just get as much pleasure from them as you can, the calories are going to add up faster and you can count them. So you have to go in knowing this sort of stuff. And, and if you don't know it right away, now you know and now you can practice it. Okay, so... Very good question, and that was probably the question that I answered the most because so many people were like, hey, you don't recommend a diet per se. You talk about flexible dieting. You talk about eating kind of in the scope of you know reason, whatever you want. How do I do that? So I got that question quite a bit. All right, we got two more questions. The next one is, what supplement should I take? Um, this is going to vary person to person. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give a general scope of what are some things to think about, and then I want you to individualize it for yourself. So I think if you're going to spend any money on supplements, the first thing you have to do is get your nutrition right. Because if you're taking supplements to fill a hole, a huge hole, I should say, in your nutrition, then you're wasting your money. If you have sound nutrition practices and you're just filling the gaps because who can eat you know, an entire bushel of different vegetables of different colors of different species, right? That's just not going to happen. I get that. Um, and who is going to, you know, chug fish oil and who's going to, you know, do this and do that? I get it. So what I recommend is get your nutrition 90, 90% intact, like be consistent with a getting as much vitamins, neutrals, minerals, protein, all that good stuff from your food. Once you've handled that, here are some recommendations. I often get asked about multivitamins and what I think about them. I think the multi, the multivitamin market is saturated with bullshit. But I also think as a general concept, a multivitamin is not a bad idea. Like I don't think it's a waste of money. I've heard it compared to like an insurance policy, right? You get an insur insurance policy or you get life insurance just in case out of the blue something really bad happens, right? It protects you in that situation. But you're certainly not going to like utilize what you pay for your insurance policy, right? You, let's say you have to pay $100 a year. You're not going to have $100 a year of extremely terrible accidents to justify, you know, paying that $100. But if you didn't have health insurance or you didn't have life insurance, it would be even more detrimental. So I like to think of a multivitamin as a insurance policy, right? You're spending probably 30 bucks on one for a month and a half worth of supplements. If it does something for you, great. If it doesn't, you didn't waste your money, but at least you had that insurance policy, right? That's kind of how I like to think about it. Now, I will in the future create a document that gives all the recommended uh, sort of supplements that I have either used or researched. Um, based on whether you're a man, a woman, that sort of thing. Um, but I, I just don't have that available right now. So do some research. And once I come out with some recommended multivitamins and things like that, I will definitely uh, announce that so you can look into that for yourself. Okay, so that's multivitamins. Protein powder also comes to mind. I really don't think about protein powder like a supplement. I think, I mean, it definitely supplements your protein intake and you should definitely get the majority of your protein from food. But Protein powder, because it's food grade and there's really no, 
I mean, it's, it, it's food grade. It's like it's it is just the either the combination of different vegetable proteins to make a protein powder, or it's the byproduct of cheese making. That's what whey is, by the way. So whey protein is a byproduct of making cheese. Um, so they used to just throw it away. They used to give it to pigs. And they started noticing their pigs were getting jacked. And they're like, what is going on here? So they studied it and realized it's, it's a very dense form of protein. And the only reason the pigs were getting jacked is because they were getting way more protein, so they're building more muscle. Um, you know, just being pigs. I don't know what if pigs are bench pressing on their off time or what, but I guess they were getting swole as hell. So anyway, uh, I think protein powder is a great idea. I think it's a great idea to get more protein without having to, you know, like, like I saw a guy one time blend chicken breast and drink it. I was like, okay, uh, you know, you could just buy a protein supplement, right? He was trying to be some kind of hardcore, whatever, but, um, yeah, a protein powder is totally cool. I think that if you use it as a way to increase your protein intake, but you're still getting a lot of protein from whole food nutrition, more power to you. Uh, I definitely recommend a protein powder. Sometimes people ask questions like, should I take collagen protein? So here's the research on collagen protein. It's really no better as a form of protein for building muscle. When it comes to hair, skin, and nails, I think it's fine. If that's If your goal is to improve the strength of your hair, skin, and nails, and you want to use collagen protein, that's totally cool. There have been some studies to show that just increasing total protein intake will also do the same thing. So if you're wondering if spending money on that collagen protein is a good idea, it's probably a lot like the multivitamin thing. It might be a waste of money, but if you're not breaking the bank to pay for it, then go for it. My general philosophy on supplements is it's your money. If you want to spend money on it, that's fine. But don't expect the results of taking the supplement to have a dramatic effect on your health. The most dramatic effect you can have on your health is what you eat and how you move, which is 90% of the puzzle. Supplements are anywhere between like 5 to 10% of the puzzle. So you might get that additional little boost, but again, it's really not going to make a huge difference. So these claims that these supplement companies are making like have endless amounts of energy. No. You're not going to have endless amounts of energy unless you're you're on cocaine. Like, yeah, maybe that would be the good mark, good marketing for cocaine, but it's not going to be good marketing for maca powder or something that you know that comes from a root in Peru that you know someone figured out 20 years ago. That's that's not true. Um, so most supplements are not going to have these are actually going to live up to their exaggerated claims. But it's your money if you want to experiment with different supplements. If you want to sort of cover your bases and have that insurance policy. I think a multivitamin is totally fine. I think things like protein powder are essential for most people. Um, fish oil, uh, you know, it's one of those things where if you want to take fish oil, great. If you're already eating a lot of fatty fish like salmon, then you don't need to take fish oil. Um, I'm of the mindset that, you know, I, I've taken fish oil on and off and I really haven't noticed a huge difference in my, in its effects. Um, so I take fish oil sometimes in small doses. Um, but again, it's not one of those things that's going to kind of like re, re revolutionize your, your life. Once you start taking it, the studies that have been done on fish oil have noticed that it helps with people's anti-depression or it helps as an antidepressant. So it helps with depression. Um, but again, I, you can reverse depression by not taking fish oil. So, you know, it's one of those things where I think there's a lot of factors that go into something like depression. So fish oil might be like a fraction of the benefit, but I also think that, you know, working out, taking care of yourself, eating right are also great antidepressants. Uh, so again, it's one of those things where you take everything and all the claims, the grain of salt, 
the biggest impact that you're going to have on your health is how you move, how often you move, how you eat, what you eat, and how you sleep. Honestly, it's boring. It, it sucks that it's that basic and it's not like sexy and cool and you can't take a pill, but it's better to be right and practice what's right versus you know constantly being frustrated because you won't accept the facts and reality. Um, so that's how I'll sort of talk about supplements. Very quickly, post and pre-workout supplements. I'm totally cool with things like pre-workout if that's if it helps motivate you to work out. Just be careful with how dependent and how tolerant you get to it because it's like anything else. If you take it all the time, eventually the effect will wear off. So what I do with pre-workout is I take it for three weeks and then the fourth and the fifth week I go off of it and then I start taking it again. So my tolerance is always doable, which actually saves you money because you have to use less pre-workout to get the buzz and get the effect and get the pump and all that cool stuff. So anyway, that's a little strategy that I use. Um, I've gotten questions about things like branch chain amino acids, BCAAs. Uh, should you take them? Let's put it this way. If you get enough protein every day, BCAAs are not any better for you. Um, and you might be thinking, okay, well, I don't get that much protein every day. I'll just take a BCA. No, focus on getting protein. You're much better off if you're somebody who doesn't get enough protein, it's smarter to buy a protein powder and take that and supplement your protein intake and get more get more protein every day. A BCA is what I would like to call like a luxury supplement. I bought it a year ago and I still haven't used all of it because there are some workouts where I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll take some BCAs just because it like motivates me to work out, not because it's going to have any dramatic effect. I have taken BCAs for um, competitions and things like uh, like endurance obstacle races, like I do the grid OCR race every year, and I've taken it for that, and it definitely helps with my endurance, uh, keeping my endurance level, you know, good and, and, and the fatigue ratio going down. But, you know, again, it's one of those things where it's more potent the less you take it. So I use it sparingly and I use it in sort of like emergency situations where like I'm really tanked and I'm not motivated to work out, but I know that BCAs taste really good and it might like keep me motivated while I'm working out. Yeah, I'll take it. But again, it's one of those things where it doesn't have any magical properties. It's not going to save you from your muscle withering away during your workout. Just focus on your protein intake if that's something you're concerned with and move on. Okay. All right, that pretty much covers supplements, and we'll we'll stop there for now. I might do a more dedicated supplement podcast episode in the future. Let's move on to apple cider vinegar. <laughs> That's our last question. Is apple cider vinegar good for weight loss? No. End of podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, apple cider vinegar is not good for weight loss, all right? The studies that have been done on apple cider vinegar uh, in terms of health effects have shown that it can help level out blood sugar and help stabilize blood sugar, which is you know, that's cool. I mean, that's great and everything, but do you need to be taking it? No. You can stabilize blood sugar by going for a walk after you eat. You can stabilize blood sugar by not like falling asleep after a meal. Like you can, <laughs> you can stabilize blood sugar in lots of other ways. You certainly do not have to take apple cider vinegar. And I honestly would not recommend taking apple cider vinegar uh, if you think it's going to do anything specific for you. Um, there, uh, there have been some cases in which, like I read one study that was saying they compared two groups of people, people that ate a carb-heavy meal with apple cider vinegar and one that ate a, car a carb-heavy meal without apple cider vinegar. And they, the results really weren't that different. I think there was a slight variation in the carb tolerance or the blood sugar levels of the group that was drinking apple cider vinegar. But again, it's one of those things where it could have very, very easily been simply because 
somebody had a different body type or somebody had a different day at work the morning before, or it could have been so many things that had nothing to do with apple cider vinegar that the evidence really isn't definitive enough to really go, yeah, you should definitely do this if you have blood sugar issues or anything like that. So, you know, when it comes to that, I just recommend that if you're thinking about apple cider vinegar for weight loss, no, it's not going to help you lose weight. It's not going to burn fat. All these stupid claims that apple cider vinegar makes is just like any other scam weight loss approach. What helps for losing weight is a calorie deficit, burning more calories than you than you consume, and figuring out a balance that helps keep that you know sustained over a long period of time. So, anyway, that's that's how I'm going to answer that last question. And as the last question, that is the end of the podcast. Um, I would like to, as I usually do, recommend that you rate the podcast and let me know how, what you think about it, how you like it on either iTunes, or you can just send me a message. Like if you send me a message after listening to the podcast and you either really liked an episode or you're really enjoying the episodes uh, and you send it to me on social media, I will share it on social media. I can leave you, I leave everyone anonymous unless they tell me otherwise. Um, and that, that can be your way of contributing to supporting not only the podcast, but Shane Hubbard Fitness. So if you'd like to do that, that would be awesome. I'd like to remind you that I do have a merch store. If you're a fan of Shane Hubbard Fitness, you're a fan of all the content I put out and you want to support me, you can go to my website and you can purchase one of the items that I have on my merch store. I've got hats, I've got t-shirts, I've got hoodies, I've got all these kind of cool stuff. And uh, I would really appreciate any support that you can give by purchasing some items. I even have stickers. Like if you just want to put a sticker on your workout or your like, uh, you know, your blender bottle or your workout bottle, whatever, uh, that would be cool. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all the announcements. I already talked about the membership, uh, which launches, uh, was that February 8th? And that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm super excited for that. I got to get going. Have a great rest of your day and I will talk to you again soon.